It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The biggest game of the Phoenix Sun season is here, and it's going to take a lot to get the job done, win it, and head back to Dallas with a chance to close things out. What are the keys to Game 5, and how can the Suns get two of their best players going? We'll talk about it in today's preview show. Locked on Suns, let's go. You are Locked on Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member and a contributor at suns.com and Dime Magazine. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen every single day. We are, we're gutting it out, guys. We are gutting it out, and the best way to support the show is to hit subscribe, hit follow, and leave a comment below. Tell me what you think the key to Game 5 is here in the Valley tonight. Can't wait for the game, even though it is going to be somewhat agonizing. Game fives with 2-2 ties are pretty intense, but that's what we're here for. That's what's supposed to be fun about this stuff, so that is, that's how I'm trying to look at it. We're going to go through every single preview note that I have in my little notebook. I watched games three and four back again today on my lunch break. I am ready for you guys. So we're going to start with how the Suns can get DeAndre Ayton right, how they can get Chris Paul right, and other keys to Game 5 to close things out. I talked a ton about the defense yesterday, so if you did not listen to that show, definitely go and re-listen to the recap because I I, I went deep on that side of the ball. But I, it will come up again today, and I do want to just say defense is the absolute most important thing. But I wanted to go specific on some players, some X's and O's stuff, some scheme stuff. And just some big picture, like how should the Suns be approaching this game? So that will all be here today. But uh, before we get into any of that, I wanted to just give a quick shout out to Monty Williams. Uh, he was officially named Coach of the Year today, uh, Tuesday, uh, Monday, sorry, during the lead up to NBA Countdown or whatever it's called, Inside the NBA on TNT. They did a segment with him. They showed some footage of him getting awarded the trophy by his son. His entire family was flown out to Phoenix. They kept this whole thing a secret, and they were able to travel out to the practice center and give Monty his trophy, be there for the, the ceremony, so to speak. The uh, Chris Paul gave a speech, all that stuff. Obviously, if any of you care about the Suns, if you've ever listened to this show, you know that Monty is a humongous part of everything here. Um, talked about him a little bit actually on Locked on Cardinals today in a guest spot just to, to emphasize the importance of, of what a great coach can be. And it's a weird situation to have it happen right up before a very big playoff game. But uh, Monty deserved it last year. It's impossible to overstate the amount of effort, the amount of uh, difference that he's made here in just three seasons. And uh, he he's rejuvenized an entire franchise. And he's also one of the best basketball minds coaching. And he... 
he has connected with this community. I mean, there, there is no shortage of things that Monty has done. I, I think I speak for most of us when this, I say the Suns would be in a much better situation if he's here for as long as he possibly can be. But let's break this game down, guys. The sappy stuff out of the way. All right. So DeAndre Ayton, as I said, we're starting with him. So I'm going to go, what's wrong? What's off? How can they get him right for both Ayton and Chris Paul? It'll be both him and the team. It'll be both offense and defense. So let's dive in. Okay. Right now, Ayton is just failing to make plays on the roll. I think that's the biggest thing for him right now. So the Suns are having a tough time finding him on the lob because of the way the Mavs are defending it. They're just doing a good job of getting, honestly, mostly hands in the ball handler's face. So when it's Bullock or it's Dorian Finney-Smith guarding the ball handler, Booker and Paul, it's hard to just get a pass over those guys. So that's starting things out. Aiton is getting the ball on the short roll in some situations before he gets all the way to the basket, which is an area he made so much progress in during the regular season, and it's just not carrying over right now. He's missing floaters. He's uh, seemingly kind of hesitant to put the ball on the ground and dribble a little bit like he had been doing against the Pelicans and during the regular season. He's just missing catches. He's not catching the ball well. He had four turnovers in game four, and I feel like game three, some of the turnovers that Booker and Paul had you actually could attribute to Aiton a little bit too. Not all of them, of course, but a couple. And so it's not going well. Getting him the ball in spaces that he is excelling is difficult right now because he's not excelling where he normally does and the easiest spots on the floor are being taken away. The other thing is the Mavs are fronting on mismatches. So what that means is when the post mismatch is there, off, usually off of a switch, if Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, for instance, run a pick and roll and the Mavs switch it, Usually, all season long, for for three years now, really, the Suns have had a mismatch where a guard is now guarding DeAndre Ayton, and the big man is now guarding Chris Paul. They can either take advantage of that by Chris Paul taking the mid-range, making the bigs dance around and, and, and break their ankles a little bit, or they can get the ball to Ayton on a seal in the post, and he just usually has a quick little shot over the top of somebody that's half his size. Well, in this case, the Mavs are fronting, so they have their man in front of DeAndre Ayton, preventing an easy catch. And they're helping off the weak side corner quite a bit. In some cases, helping off the weak side corner and then sending an extra third person on the catch when Aiton has the ball. And so some of those missed catches on the roll are because of Dallas's defense. Of course, you got to give them credit. They're just making it uncomfortable. You look at him only having 10, 13 made shots on 10 offensive rebounds. So over the past two games, he's 10 offensive boards, but only 13 made field goals. So if you just assume you know, eight, eight or nine of those offensive rebounds probably resulted in putbacks and he only has 13 made field goals. That means he's only made a handful, less, you know, less than 10 for sure shots that aren't just putbacks over the past two games. So that shows that his offensive production is a little bit, uh, it's hiding some of the real truth there. The teams, so, okay, that's the half court basically. In transition, this is more on the defensive end so I'll actually do the offense first. The ball movement has been poor. So um, Aiton gets hurt the most by that. When they're not pushing the pace, when they're not having the ball fly around, they're not pulling defenders out of the paint is basically the best way to put it, or beating them down the court. Those are two things Aiton is great at. He can catch the ball and finish inside. Nobody does it better than him for the most part in terms of just making those easy inside shots and he can run the floor with the best of them, but they're not doing those things. So Aiton is going to be the guy hurt the most by that most of the time. 
Okay, so then to get to the defense just briefly here, after I did talk about it a bit, but this is worth emphasizing. The team is putting Aiton in bad spots in transition defensively. They're making him match up against shooters, against ball handlers. They're also in the half court again, leaving, giving up lazy switches, leaving Aiton and McGee both in no man's land, having to contest perimeter shots, having to try to stay with Brunson or Luka or Dinwiddie, those are not good situations to be put in. Not that that's affecting his production necessarily, but if you feel like Aiton has been invisible or not himself or not making an impact on the game, that has a lot to do with it. He's not being put in positions to succeed all that much. At the same time, let's switch to how to get Aiton back on track here. You cannot talk about DeAndre Ayton without admitting that he is inconsistent with his effort, inconsistent with his energy, and he's is and has always been externally motivated. You've heard me say that time and again. This is a guy who, he gets pumped up. He gets going from things outside of himself. I don't feel like he's a guy who comes into every single game driven to be his absolute best just from inherent inside thing. Easy for me to say. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm like that in every single walk of life, but it shows up for Aiton because of how much is asked of him. So, It could just be that he comes out, plays with great energy, asserts himself, does the little things, does some of the things that we saw him get better at in the regular season, you know, rebounds better, gets to his spots with determination and force, all that stuff, and he just plays better. I mean, he was huge in game three in New Orleans after Booker got hurt in the Suns' last game two, right, of the last series. So it could just be that. I think game three of the last series was maybe the best game DeAndre Ayton has ever played. So... Wouldn't be crazy to think that he hits the ground running and and just has a massive game again. Uh, I think that getting off to a good start will help Aiton because he's always been a guy, especially in the playoffs, who has big first quarters and that usually gets him in rhythm and and feeling good and feeling motivated. Um, I think being precise and playing with force the other guys on the team would go a long way to help Aiton. And then once again, Getting Aiton easy buckets in transition would would just help him get into rhythm, make him feel involved, etc. I want to emphasize this because I don't have another great place to do it, but I'm emphasizing transition so much, even though it feels like this series has been slow, it feels like the Suns should have a pace advantage, that has not always been true in this series. The Suns owned the transition game in games one and two, but the Mavs owned game owned it in games three and four, and they were even better than the Suns were. So You could say it's two for two, but on the whole, the Mavs used it to incredible impact in game four. They scored 2.3 points per possession in transition in game four. Think about that. One made layup is two points. So they were better than a made layup on every single time that they hit the transition gas in game four. I I did some back-of-the-napkin math, and that basically shows that they got about 16 extra points in transition if you look at how often they ran and what they did when they did run about 16 points that they just stole I mean that's more than the margin of the game so I think the team that executes best in transition will win this series and Aiton is such a big part of the Suns transition offense when they are doing it the right way Okay, let's get to Chris Paul. I think obviously after a seven turnover game and then after a six personal foul game There's no doubt that Chris Paul will need to step up if the Suns are going to win Game 5. First, guys, today's show brought to you by by Prize Picks. Daily Fantasy made easy. If you are looking for another Daily Fantasy option in the NBA, you're tired of all the normal stuff. 
We love prize picks here at the Locked On Podcast Network, and you guys will too, because you guys are all NBA junkies. And I'm sure, like me, you are kind of sick of the old-fashioned way. Here's how prize picks works, though. You pick two to five players and the over or the under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times your bet on any, your, your deposit on any entry that you make. It's just you versus those projections. So there's no pool, no head-to-head, no round robin, no any of this. You pick two to five players over or under, and that's it. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, and prize packs offers safe and fast withdrawals. So let's say you like Chris Paul, I'm sure his points are depleted here. Let's go over on points. He's going to come out aggressive. Let's say you want over on DeAndre Ayton rebounds because he's just going to come out and and play like a man about out of hell. And you can make prize picks mixed sport entries. So let's say you like, let me see, what sports are going on right now? You like the under on uh, a Diamondbacks player for hits because their offense is anemic right now. And that's your lineup. That's three guys. That's an over or an under, and that's it. For a limited time, Price Picks also has an exclusive no-brainer offer for all Locked On listeners. You will get $50 free if a player in your first Price Picks entry scores a single point, which of course they will when you use the code NBA at signup. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available only for Locked On listeners. Sign up today, use the code NBA, and get $50 free if a player in your first entry scores a single point. Prize picks, daily fantasy made easy. Today's show also brought to you by Athletic Greens and their wonderful new AG1 daily multivitamin, delicious 75 high-quality vitamin and mineral supplement. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 against 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy, recovery, focus, aging, all of it. It is just getting you the stuff that you need in your body. That is the best way to put it. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb and benefit from. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. One thing every day to take great care of yourself. Subscription comes with a year supply of vitamin D as well, which can be helpful as we are, well, you could take it for the rest of the spring. You could save it for next winter. We all hate getting sick and that's what vitamin D can do for you. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop and a cup of water per day for AG1 and that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of that immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NBA network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Chris Paul, obviously the, the goat of the past couple of games, and I don't mean that in the greatest of all time way. The the guy that, that, that these losses are being pinned on, and understandably so. He has not been himself. He absolutely needs to be better. There's just no way around that. There's there's nobody to argue the other side of that. Chris Paul, if he doesn't play better, the Suns are going to have an incredibly difficult time winning Game 5 and this series, okay? So we'll start the same way we did last segment. Why is Chris Paul off? Why is he struggling? This one, I mean, I have some analysis for you, but a lot of it's just pretty simple. It's pretty basic stuff. He has not seemed focused. Um, He feels like he's gambling way too much on both ends, which for a player who prides himself on efficiency, on having his, his fingerprint on every single square inch of that court at all times, 
is not characteristic of him. It makes it feel like, yeah, did they did they overlook this Mavs team a little bit? Did they not think the Mavs had this in them? I think you could make the case, and I think Chris Paul's performance shows you that. He's messing with Brunson and Luka when they have the ball so much, kind of like tapping around them, reaching behind them, chasing them when they're already past him. You saw with Brunson in the uh, the fourth foul that he got, Chris Paul, that got, that got challenged at the beginning of the second half of game four, where he tries to do the kind of playground move of getting in front in front of Brunson, getting in his way and falling. And then there, I don't know if you guys remember this, there was a turnover, I think it was uh, second or third quarter of game three, where it was a, a, an offensive rebound. Chris goes all the way back to ha- the half court line, takes his sweet time to get the offensive rebound and reset the offense takes a couple steps toward the Andre Ayton screen and throws a laser beam pass to the corner where Cam Johnson is standing. But Spencer Dinwiddie read it from the absolute second that it left Chris Paul's hands. That was the play where Dinwiddie stepped out of bounds after the steal, which I get you could probably say, okay, that that play doesn't matter because it was uh, it, it sent Dinwiddie out of bounds to get the steal to gamble so much. But you never see Chris Paul throw that. So again, lack of focus. I'm not sure what's up with Chris Paul's hand either. It looked way worse in game three, but still not all the way normal in game four. He does have a wrap on his middle and ring fingers of his left hand, it looks like. I'm not trying to to play, you know, armchair hand doctor, whatever that is. I get that it is, it could be nothing. It could just be the wear and tear of so many surgeries on those darn uh, everything on his hands that at 37, it's just never going to be great again. I don't know, but it was obvious. Losing control of the ball. Also, Finney Smith and Bullock are doing an incredible job getting their hands on on the ball, um, pursuing from behind, all that type of stuff. With that, though, another reason why Chris Paul is off, there's too many plays where someone else is bringing the ball up, and it never gets back to him. And, and I mean, I guess you live with some of that, but when he is so integral to everything that the Suns are doing. It's a victory for the Mavs when Crowder or Bridges or Booker or Johnson bring the ball up and then it never gets back to Paul. I mean, that's keeping the, they're effectively keeping the ball out of the Suns' best playmaker's hands. I mean, whether they score, whether the Suns score every so often doing that or not, it's a, it's a bad thing. It's, it's obviously a reason why Paul's going to not have as big of an impact on the game. And then last but not least, he can't always wait until the Suns are down or it's the second half to start scoring. I guess that's a little bit of how to get him back on track, but that has been happening where, especially when he's turning the ball over and getting in foul trouble, the Mavs are already in control of the game by the time he would usually start to try to score. That That's an obvious problem. Okay, so that all said, probably went a little too deep. He's a, he's a Hall of Fame, right? I should chill, but it's all happening in the past two games and it needs to, it needs to stop. So how can it stop? I think to open games, similar to what I was saying with Aiton, just Settle down, play with force, play aggressively, but don't try to do too much. In game four, it was trying to bait Luca into the fouls. In game three, it was getting cute with isolations and things. It's just run a few of your trusted pick and roll sets, get some open shots. Remember last year in the playoffs when every single game, Jay Crowder got an open three to start it? I'm not saying that teams aren't going to learn that stuff and it should happen the same way every night. That would be kind of embarrassing for the opponents, but it felt so reliable that the Suns were going to start first quarters in in an incredible groove and it's not happened in really much of these playoffs, but especially the past two games. Uh, I think the rest of it to me 
is defense. Actually, no. Here, here's a couple things on offense. Play him with Payne or Holiday more often again, I think, would maybe help both of those parties. <laughs> Paul could have another actual ball handler out there to get the offense going besides Crowder or Bridges. And I also think you would get Payne and Holiday potentially being able to play better when there's not as much playmaking duty on them. And then I also think Paul should be speaking to the aggressiveness again, not waiting to the second half to score. I think Paul should be looking to attack Kleba, Bertans, or Powell, all the bigs on switches, especially if DeAndre Ayton is being given so much attention. If the Mavs are going to give up the switch and they're going to, to put so many resources toward Ayton on the post and the catch and those mismatches, the, the floor is going to open up for Chris Paul to have some of those mid-range jumpers. And those have actually been there. If you look, it was ugly. It did not sustain. But he actually was getting to his mid-range and scoring the ball decently, even in games three and four. For a couple stretches, you could see him get into rhythm, start to heat up a little bit. And then the Suns just shot themselves in the foot, so it didn't end up making that big of a difference. Last couple things from Paul to get him back on track defensively. Okay, so stop trying to bait the Mavericks into mistakes. I mean, this goes to the the try to the reach around the the reach from behind stuff that Paul keeps trying to do. Brunson and Luca have more than proven that they're not going to fall for that kind of crap. They're not going to make mistakes like that. And you know, also some of the the fouls that Paul is trying to draw. I mean, I think if if he's defending Luca in the post, trying to draw some charges and things like that, that's somewhat his best hope because he is giving up so much size in those. But don't junk things up and take risks that you don't need to take. And then I actually feel like if they just stick to their basics a little bit, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a detailed defensive breakdown of this game and what the game plan should be for the Suns in the, in the last segment. But part of what I'm going to tell you in that segment is to just get back to a more basic, just contain type of defense. And I actually think closing out on shooters and stuff like that, helping from the weak side or from his man at the right times and stuff like that. That's Chris Paul's bread and butter, especially at this point in his career when he's not somebody you want to give a high-level on-ball matchup to. So that discipline on defense is something he should actually be able to be helping with. He should definitely not be making it worse. Okay, last segment, other keys for Game 5. What other things should be on your mind? Rotation, game plan, little its and bits that you might not be thinking of. We'll do it all first Today's show is also brought to you guys by betonline.ag. BetOnline is your number one source for all sports betting needs, all sports betting info, analysis, news, all of it, including, of course, constantly updated odds for this year's basketball playoffs, the baseball regular season fights, next year's NFL futures, all of it. Rosters are basically set now, so the NFL betting is in full effect. BetOnline is your continued source for all sports wagering info, including live betting, esports, and more. Let's see. What is the line for Suns Mavs Game Five? This has to be. This has to be on here. NBA game. Suns Mavs. The Suns are favored by six. That gives me a little bit of a pit in my stomach. I'm not going to lie to you. Series odds. The Suns are minus two fifty-five. Wow, they are getting a ton of love. Better seem to really still buy the Suns team. I don't feel like I want to put too much thought into that, but you get the idea. There is no shortage. NBA, MLB, NFL, all of it across the website, BetOnline. So, again, BetOnline.net or their mobile app to learn more about the latest trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna put my coach assistant coaches video coordinator hat on a little bit here, and I'm gonna give you sort of a defensive game plan. I'm not gonna cover everything. I I wouldn't even know where to start. So don't don't even uh, feel like I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. I uh, I'm not. But before I get to any of that. There needs to be a sense of urgency. I thought about doing another segment on this show, just like I did in the Pelican series, just talking, criticizing, frankly, criticizing the Suns for even allowing the series to get to a point where they had to bring urgency. It should be there. It should always be there, okay? And I don't even think it's just the players, although you can obviously express a good good deal of frustration with, with their problems. But... It's Monty Williams as well, and I, I already did my shout-out about Coach of the Year, so now I can criticize him. It's been like 20 minutes. He comes into games and doesn't... He I, I do lean on this side of it. I, I see the debate all the time among Suns fans. You know, is Monty enough of an in-game adjuster? I don't think the problem is that he doesn't see the adjustments. I think it's that he wants to have faith in his guys to get the job done until the bitter end. And then if it fails and there's an opportunity to change something as a result of the, the result of the game, then he'll do it. But that can't be the mentality in a game five, six, seven when the series is on the line. And I don't think it will be. I think he'll be ready to do more of that. And I get it. The best coaches that, I mean, as much as they get criticized for it as well, the most, the guys who have won the most championships this century between Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich, I know they both come from the same thing, but guess what? So does Monty Williams. They all are all from the same school of thought, and they all hold that loyalty to their guys to a really high degree. And I don't think that's a coincidence, but I do think Game 5, we will see some change. And here's the two that I see. So, Torrey Craig is active, uh, is probable, so he'll most likely be active here in Game 5. It's absolutely time to play Biombo or Craig or both ahead of McGee, and Holiday ahead of, at least ahead of Shamit, if not, well, they do different things. So I would, okay, I'll just say it. Aaron Holiday ahead of Cameron Payne, okay? If Payne also gets minutes, if Shamit also gets minutes, I get it, fine. But Aaron Holiday has earned the right to play. Holiday, especially when Brunson is out there, should be getting some run. And Biombo, especially when Kleba is out there, should be getting some run, okay? And especially, I mean, not Bertons, I guess. They actually, the Mavs played Bertons at the five, for stretches of the past two games. That's just stuff that, that is not stuff that should happen with this Suns team, but I'm not going on that rant again. Okay, defensive game plan. Defensive game plan for the Suns. And it's just mostly pick and roll stuff because I think that's so much of where this series is going to be decided. So against Luka, I have a couple of iterations, all right? Against Luka with Aiton or McGee on the floor, drop the big man into the paint on the pick and roll, and then have Mikhail fight over every single screen. Make Luka do what he was doing in games one and two, which was difficult passes or floaters, or those long post-ups that he does, okay? It worked in games one and two. Now, he has been more determined getting downhill, but wait for that to happen and adjust, but start the game dropping the big, having Mikhail fight over, okay? Against a Luka pick and roll with Biombo or Craig on the floor, switch every screen. I'm fine living with Biombo or Craig contesting a Luka three, a pull up three, or trying to stay with him in space. I actually think they both can hold up decently well. And again, it's making Luka beat you rather than making 
rather than allowing the role players to get open because you're helping so much and this and that. I don't think there should be any minutes where Luca is on the floor and Bridges is off the floor at all. That should not happen. That has happened more often than you would think if you... I don't have the numbers because that's a difficult thing to count up, but I promise you, we've all seen it. A lot of times where Cam Johnson or Cameron Payne are getting exposed, some of that's because Luca's finding the right mismatch. A lot of it is because Bridges has not been out there. And it's only a couple minutes at a time, but can't cannot happen. If Luca calls for a non-big man screen, like I was just talking about, and tries to attack a specific person, I say let him score from the post. I mean, I'm not saying like move out of the way and allow him to get a dunk on you, but if he wants to get you into the post like he was on Cameron Payne in game four, as he's been doing to Cam Johnson all series, I don't mind that. Those possessions are going to be slow. They're going to be pretty good shots for him, but still relatively tough. I mean, a, you know, kind of fall away or hook type of floating layup, he makes more than half of those, but it's still relatively difficult and He's not, you're not allowing the shooters to get open. Three points is worth more than two, okay? With that mindset, three points being worth more than two, trying to limit threes, again, I don't want to overdo it, but I think it's actually more of getting back to what was happening in games one and two, where the Mavs were still making threes, but they weren't getting wide open threes over and over. I think you should play Brunson actually the way that the Bucks played Booker in last year's finals. And here's what I mean. Similar thing to what I was saying with Luca. If it's Aiton on the floor, drop Aiton, have the ball on-ball defender fight over a screen, let Brunson take those tough twos. Stay home on your shooters. This is exactly what the Bucks did to Booker. They didn't, they jammed up things at the point of attack. Now the Suns don't have as great of a, a way to do that, but Brunson can initiate if if he gets the ball, if Luca's in there, if Dinwiddie's in there, if Brunson's the only ball handler, whatever. But just if he's gonna kill you on mid-range shots, like if if Brunson scores 30 points without a lot of threes or free throws, that's a massive victory, and that's the Mavs just beating you flat out. It's a totally reasonable, and of course, it's only a portion of the possessions. Most of the time, the ball's going to be in Lucas' hands. But when Brunson attacks, because he has been in a couple of big moments over the past couple games, he has been the guy who is genuinely keeping the the Dallas offense afloat. I just don't buy that he's really going to be somebody who can carry them in the same way that Luca does. I would also consider, on the Brunson note, putting Crowder on Brunson, and maybe not the whole game and read you know, rejiggling things, jiggering things completely. But if Brunson starts to get past Booker, if you feel like you're asking Booker to have to do too much defensively with, with what he's already having to do offensively, you could put Crowder on Brunson because again, he doesn't have to stay with him all that much. He just has to, to make a, you know, fight over the screen, contest from behind, make Brunson feel uncomfortable and goad him into taking some of those longer twos. And then you can also that way put Booker on Bullock, which in game four, or both games really, but game three is actually the one I was thinking of early. You saw the the Mavs running a couple of sets actually for Bullock, which is not a player who usually gets offense run for him, just to make Chris Paul have to defend. So if you put Crowder on Brunson, 
You can then put Booker on Bullock. He's going to be more capable. It's not going to feel like a mismatch as much. And then Chris Paul on Dorian Finney-Smith, who, yes, he's a great shooter, but he's somebody, he's not really going to run around screens and that type of thing. You have to watch him uh, cut for cuts. You have to box out on offensive rebounds, and then you have to contest to the corner. That's a pretty easy job for for Chris Paul to do, even if Finney-Smith is bigger than him. And then last but not least, defensively here, I would play zone even a little bit more than the Suns did in the past couple games because I think it's actually working pretty well. At least the results, if we're just going to play the results, I don't know if the Mavs were, you know, getting awful shots, but they missed quite a few of them and it didn't feel like they really had a great plan for it. Maybe they will in game five now that they've seen it a little bit, but I would... I would bring it in more, maybe only five to ten percent. I mean, they might have the Suns might have done it for like five or ten possessions in the past couple of games. Maybe you bump that up to fifteen. It's not a lot, but if you can hold the Mavs to you know pretty poor offensive efficiency in those stretches, I think you take it, and it seems like it's working. So the Suns have familiarity with that. So some of the things I'm saying to do, the Suns don't have a lot of familiarity with, like you know uh, switching everything or not helping on some of those post-ups, although they've been doing that, I guess, already a little bit. But the zone stuff is something that that would feel pretty normal. They just need to bump up the the volume with it and try to see if they can muck things up a little bit. I think the Suns, if they just play... This is the same thing I said last series. If they play like they, they can play and like we know them to be able and capable of playing... The Suns should win this this game, this series, the rest of it. We all know that. Any Mavs fan knows that. We just saw it in games one and two. The Mavs played pretty well. It was a competitive game one, a competitive game two, and the Suns just ended up being better. That's what should happen. Okay, the Suns are at home. I gave you all the things that I have in my head going into game five, but that's the bottom line. We'll see. I will be right here with you guys post-game after I get home from Footprint Center. Post game five tonight, wish me well uh, dealing with the stress of a game five. Either way, it will be stressful no matter what the result. And I hope you guys have fun watching this at home again. Just try to have fun. And a big shout out, actually. You guys helped make last week the biggest listenership and viewership week in the history of this podcast, which is incredible. And uh, I owe you guys a ton. It's very, very cool. So hopefully you continue to watch and support and all that good stuff. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.